Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. In this episode, I am joined by my sister Kay, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the first season of Netflix's Marvel's Iron Fist. We're going to spoil not only all of it, but Luke Cage, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, have speculation about the Defenders, might mention any or all of the Marvel films and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., plus anything else that comes to mind, including the Iron Fist comic including Immortal Iron Fist and all the different various Iron Fist comics, and Power Man and Iron Fist, and maybe even the Power Man series that preceded the Power Man and Iron Fist series, just because, well, it's all kind of wrapped together in the comic stuff. Are we not even going to spoil the little uh, audio intro to episodes of Arrow? Oh, we're going to mock Arrow (laughs) quite a bit on this. Yeah, I don't know that we'll so much spoil Arrow, but we will reference it quite a bit. Because when we were starting this, I couldn't help but draw the number of parallels of a rich kid, Mm -hmm. thought to be dead, comes back to save his city. Yes. And he must become something else. Yes. Someone Someone else. And, you know, it's, it's funny because, I mean, there's some definite clear parallels in there. Well, his father died on that trip. It changed his life forever. He spent time in what any 10-year-old would consider a veritable hell. There was no game box. He was in a monastery where he had to take a vow of chastity. I think at 10, the vow of chastity probably wasn't much of a problem. (laughs) Well, but going on up through into the 20s, I mean... Well... The, the parallels, he spent a lot longer time away. Yes. Had a lot more resources to train him. Yes. Than, than Oliver did. And also, it can't, I mean, there were so many times at the beginning where I kept saying, see, if you hadn't have brought the whole family on the trip, he'd have had a much better time getting back into society. Oliver could have had this problem and, you know, proving mm-hmm. who he is and all that stuff. It was, it was funny because they're very similar paths, very different characters. Yeah. But the parkour aspect at times. Definitely. Which is more pronounced on Arrow than here, but there was enough of it here. But also the martial arts, the fighting skill. Swap out the Arrow for the Iron Fist. Granted, there's a lot more archery happening than Iron Fist, you Mm. know, chi summoning here. But I think by and large with the Iron Fist series, they did a pretty good job. The character was a bit younger than I would have done myself. The character was 25. Yeah. Um, which, for parts of it, it worked pretty well. I mean, he's young, he's trying to find himself, so in that sense, being young worked for it, and he has kind of a naivete that comes from coming out of the monastery and out of another world into New York City, of all places. And that's fine, but when you started mentioning how Joy Meacham, who was a few years older... At most. At most. Because, I mean... Ward would have been maybe 16 when they were kids, when would, before the plane crash. Well, Joy says she was 12 when her father died 13 years ago. Okay, so she's 25. She's gone to college, mm-hmm. gone to law school, mm-hmm. worked enough in Rand Corporation to have earned 
you know, the uh, the admiration and respect of her peers and is chief legal counsel or some such. Yeah. And it's like, that's pretty quick. Yeah. So I think if they had played the character as having been away longer, have them all be older, mm-hmm. because Luke Cage, what would you put his character age at in, in that series? There again, I'm, I'm thinking... Mid-30s? Yeah. Versus mid-20s? Yeah, definitely. Well, and part of that is he worked as a sheriff, not even a deputy, but he was sheriff when he got sent to jail. Mm-hmm. He got experimented on in jail after the fight club time. Yeah, he was at least 30 before a lot of his backstory started to happen, much less the the present day stuff. You know, because you've got to have time for him to escape jail, spend at least, what, six months with Reva doing happily ever after before she's murdered. He's got the bar that Reva helped him set up in Hell's Kitchen to give you the time frame for the Jessica Jones series. And then it's at least five months later for Luke Cage. I mean, you can just start adding a lot of this up. With with Iron Fist, the the timeline, again, should have been a lot longer. Because in the comic, I always feel like Luke Cage and Iron Fist are peers. And that would make sense to me. Maybe yeah. not the exact same age, but really no more than maybe three, four years different. Yeah. Ten years, there's almost a, you know, I don't say father-son sort of relationship, but a, a, a almost generational gap there. Well, and they were definitely playing up the Claire, the night nurse, is older, wiser, and well-grounded at times, and giving advice on the, you can't just shove anger aside. You can't just say, that is emotion, and I am a weapon not a person who deals with emotions. She was definitely giving guidance, but she never talked down to... Agreed. Uh, to either um, Danny or Colleen like they were kids. Yeah. But Claire was more on kind of that even footing age-wise, I felt, with with uh, Daredevil, with, with uh, Luke Cage, with Jessica Jones. Yeah. And Iron Fist here is definitely the, uh, the youngster of what will become the Defenders. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing right or wrong about it. It just, I think, they could have sold it a little bit better uh, in terms of some of the setup for Rand Corporation. Yeah. If the characters had been a little older. There was a lot of corporate politicking and whatnot going on at times. And I think that's part of why they made Danny so young. They wanted to really emphasize the, he doesn't have a clue what he's doing. He has no education with which to be trying to make business decisions. Mm-hmm. And here he is swinging around his, I own more than 51% of the company. I'm putting my foot down. Again, not horribly dissimilar to some of the stuff they've done with Oliver Queen over an arrow. Yeah. Different, you know, direction, different uh, way it played out because he was trying to play dumber than he was over an arrow. Yeah. Whereas... Here you've got Danny just being the, you know, lives matter, we're not going to profit off this. Yeah, yeah, definitely being guided by his conscience and all the things he learned in the monastery, which, I mean, they didn't talk about what kind of education he received there, but he he clearly learned more than just the martial arts. Well, there was an ethics aspect to it, certainly, and it's a it's questionable how much he learned in terms of history, science, those sorts of things. Yeah. He's not an idiot. He's not just blown away by technology or whatever, but 
it does raise some interesting questions as to, you know, how much economic theory does he know, if yeah. any. Yeah. It was an interesting blend of the Rand Corporation stuff, the things going on at uh, Colleen's Dojo. Mm-hmm. There was a lot there. We've got the hand as one of the two major threats in this series, uh, Harold being the other. I, I was going to divide the hand into the left hand and the right hand, but okay. Yeah, there is that. When they had two very different factions of the hand, and neither one necessarily having crystal clear goals, motivation, etc. You know, was the nicer version of the hand putting people in these positions so they later could take over? Or have agents in these places, or for the betterment of mankind. See, my my feeling starting about halfway through the series was this is a series where Danny has been dropped into a New York full of manipulative characters. And the left hand was extraordinarily manipulative, just in a totally different state style of manipulation than the right hand. Which are you putting as the left and the right in this? It doesn't matter. Fair enough. Gao's hand was a bit more, well, it was phrased as more stick than carrot. Yeah. And um, uh, Bacato's, I guess it was, uh, was more, you know, let's negotiate. Let's let's try to make this at least seem like a win-win up until I don't, you know, fulfill that and, you know, kill you or something. Yeah, he makes it sound like he's doing it because it's what's best for you and it's what's best for everyone. Mm -hmm. But he still is going to murder you if you let him down. The difference is instead of using your head as a mailbox, it looks like he's going to experiment on you while you're being killed. Because, well, you know, your death should have meaning for the hand or purpose. A couple of things uh, come to mind when you said all that. One... Head as a mailbox. There were some really gory aspects of this at times. Yeah, I was definitely covering my eyes quite a few times. And Ward had nightmares for reasons. Yeah. Not as bad as, say, first season Daredevil, maybe. True. But not far. Well, and it kind of came up the second half. The first half of the season wasn't as gratuitous in that respect. No, I would agree with that. It got worse as it went along. Almost the same way that Daredevil first season got less gory as it went along. Yeah. And I didn't think the gore really added anything. I have a practically a zero tolerance for that, though. Found it fairly distasteful. And, I mean, to the point where you've got one or two of the characters coming into the room, seeing a situation, and throwing up. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, you're, you're, you're driving the point. You could have done that with just that, seeing that part, not seeing what they saw that made them throw up. Yeah, yeah. And there were a couple of times in, I guess it was Luke Cage, where we got some violence, but the camera was panned up just enough that it was kind of happening below camera. Yeah. So you knew somebody was getting the tar beat out of them and stuff, because you could see the blood splash. Yeah. But that's what you saw, not the, here's what happened to them sort of thing. Yeah. And again, I don't have a high tolerance for that. But the other thing with this uh, Iron Fist series that sets it apart from the other ones uh, Daredevil and, and Luke Cage, and uh, to a lesser extent, also Jessica Jones. Who can you trust in the mind games aspect? Oh, definitely. The, you know, I think we can trust this person. Oh, wait, they've been lying to us. This guy does nothing but lie in one case, you know, Harold mm-hmm. and stuff like yeah. that. That there's always the potential of, of, for the most part, shifting alliances, Claire being the notable exception to that. Yeah. 
Well, and uh, I guess it was Bakudo from the first time we saw him. I was asking you, you know, is this a character you're familiar with and can guide me on should I or shouldn't I trust him? Because my I don't feel like I can trust him sensor is going off and I can't place why. And part of it was the first conversation he was in was cryptic. Well, the first one he had with Colleen made it seem like Colleen was spying on Danny. Yeah. And it throws her into question. And rightfully so, given the direction they went with her being a member of the Hand. Mm -hmm. Now, much like with Luke Cage, where I haven't read the original kind of stuff, I have not read the early, early Iron Fist stuff. Mm -hmm. And... Coincidentally, I started reading Power Man and Iron Fist the same time I started reading Power Man and Iron Fist because it was the same title. So, you know, when I was reading Luke Cage off the rack was the same time I was reading Danny Rand because they were cohabitating the same book. That's like saying you read Batman and Robin at the same time. Well, when Batman and Robin were in the same title, sure, when Robin had his own, I could have started that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But at this point, they the two characters had merged into one title you know, 50, 60 issues earlier mm -hmm. before I had really gotten into the, the Marvel side of things. So how much of this is from the comics, I really can't say. Mm -hmm. um, some of the things are from more recent times. Certainly all the work that Brubaker and Fraction did, going from Kunlun being this mystical city to there are seven of these, each of which have their own immortal weapon. Oh, got it. Iron Fist. Uh, the when Iron Fist goes through Gao's kind of uh challenge or tournament mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. The spider person. Mm -hmm. She's one of those other. Oh, interesting. Uh, at least in the comics, mm -hmm. not necessarily here. And um. Well, and you mentioned the challenge because that was a turning point of sorts for Danny. It's when he first realizes that he's dealing with people who enter a tournament. And set the rules and the boundaries and the, I place my honor on this. And then they get to the end and it's, sorry, I'm putting a knife to the girl's throat and yeah. changing the rules. And he's just baffled. These, these people have no honor. There were certain aspects of the way some people were acting, that in specific with, with Cow's case, that were almost literally unthinkable to Danny. Yeah. And... That was one of the things that got him to the point of having a problem summoning his chi. It's just his worldview kind of shattered a little bit there. Yeah. So they they did some interesting stuff with, with all of that. If they do uh, another season of Iron Fist, I think it certainly opens up the possibility of some of these other cities. Maybe that's how he tries to chase down what happens to Kunlun at the end here. And introducing some of these other immortal weapons and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether they go that way or not, don't know. Um, well, I have a major objection to what happened to Kunlun. And it started about the point at which we saw somebody following Danny about and setting up in the food truck opposite mm -hmm. Rand. And I finally asked you, do you think that's Davos? Mm -hmm. Just because, I don't know, something made me think, okay, this sounds like or looks like friend from back home. He We'd seems heard enough... And he had the same sort of backpack. And yeah, yeah. And he felt equally like an outsider yeah. to New York, right? But Davos has established that he had promised, as Danny was the guardian of the passage, that he would be at Danny's back. He would be his second. Mm -hmm. Now, he's come to New York chasing after Danny, furious that Danny 
left the passage unprotected. And my argument is no, technically, Danny isn't the one who left it entirely unprotected. Well, Danny abandoned his post, and I could see Davos being kind of unhappy with that. Yes. Even wanting to go chase after him. But to do so without having somebody else guarding the thing. Yeah. Kind of kind of not so good, as we see at the end. I mean, Davos takes no responsibility for the passage being fully unprotected because he, too, abandoned the post. This is, though, where I think the writing of Iron Fist is not as tight as some of the other shows they've done. When we see Davos there having kind of impromptu taken over the the food truck outside of mm. the Rand Corporation, he's making like throwing stars out of the tinfoil for the wrappers or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, pretty pretty sharp tinfoil to go actually, you know, stick into the metal side of the... I took that a few ways. I took that to be... He is similar to Danny in terms of Danny picked up a piece of paper when he was talking to the secretary. The origami side I get. Right. But I also took it as a, this is why Davos is not Iron Fist. Because where Danny's out there making a flower and finding the positive, kind way to interact with someone to get what they wanted, Davos knocked the guy out, stole his truck... But that's my point. He knocks the guy out, ties him up, and he's using the truck as a, a vantage point. I don't think we ever really see him do anything there. I mean, we don't even get the, the what I felt is the obligatory somebody trying to order something and getting shooed away, hey, I'm closed, or whatever. He flipped the sign to closed. He, nobody bothered him at the truck, and then he followed somebody from the building. That's how he got to Danny. Yeah, it just... It had minimal payoff. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, the character added a bit to have that kind of brother figure from that side versus the family with the Meachams, you know, kind of symmetry or whatnot. Well, it was interesting because while Danny was feeling betrayed by the Meachams, who were as close to siblings as he had in New York, here comes Davos from Kunlun, who's as close as he had to sibling there, feeling betrayed by Danny. Well, and it's funny because if they do another season of this and they go to Kunlun and he encounters Davos there, it's the same basic story, but the hidden city side versus the New York City side. Yeah. So I hope they don't go that obvious of a route, but they could. They had uh, a number of things that I thought were decent here in terms of, okay, Harold's pretty messed up and they sell that pretty well. The lies he tells, but the believable aspects of them and things like that. It just never felt like there was... A clear pacing and through line for the beginning, middle, and end of the arc. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Because we hit that 12th episode, and aside from, okay, Joy's been shot, how's she doing? They pretty much could have ended the series there. Yeah. I felt Jessica Jones probably had one of the best beginning, middle, and end arcs. Mm. It it watched like a book. Yeah. Uh, Daredevil, first season I thought did pretty good that way. Second season, pretty good, but with the Elektra arc and the Punisher arc. Um, this didn't really have kind of clear break points. It just didn't have as... I mean, the, the story moves forward the entire time. Well, it moves forward in the fashion of a confused teenager trying to find his place. I was going to go with a a drunk trying to walk the line, and it it sways a little bit here and there. I mean, it's not like it's completely 
bouncing against the rails and there's no forward direction. No, but it, it was very much Danny's story in terms of, in a lot of ways, especially culturally, he's still more of a teenager than an adult. Absolutely, but I think Danny had a definite story arc. Colleen had a good story arc. Claire was well used. I don't know that she really had the arc here like I felt she had in Luke Cage. Yeah. Um, but Joy and Ward both had clear arcs. Mm-hmm. Harold had a very interesting journey in this um, with a what I thought was a satisfying conclusion. <laughs> so, I mean, they, they had some good things in terms of that part of the writing, but there was something about the pacing where there were a few places where I felt it was a little indulgent, a few places where it's like, this seems a little like an odd point to introduce, like when we get uh, Bakudo and stuff. I didn't feel they'd really set up too well that uh, Colleen could be a member of the Hand. No. The yeah. martial arts uh, scholarships and stuff like that, I think, were their attempts to do it. I felt like she was recruiting for someone or something, but... I thought it was whatever the scholarship program was, and I wasn't even thinking in terms of that could be code for the hand. I didn't think they did anything to set up that there could be anything nefarious about it versus literally it's an actual legit martial arts scholarship to some school or whatever. Yeah. You know, so for that path to go that way, to get to this compound that the hand has, yet they're not visibly the hand, it's like... You're brainwashing people, but you're being very quiet about it, even mm -hmm. while you're doing it, sort of. It, it, yeah. There was something there that didn't quite work, although it furthered the who can you trust aspect. Well, there was a hilarious point at which it's kind of Romeo and Juliet, only Romeo and Juliet were raised by opposing cults that brainwashed them to opposing yeah. viewpoints. Instead and of gangs, it was martial arts schools or whatever. Well, but now you have to figure out who's been brainwashed how, and were either of them told any truths in the course of the brainwashing? Well, I mean, there's the potential of kind of the classic The Chosen story, where you've got the two opposing chosen yeah. that are fighting because that is their apparent destiny or whatever, all having been, you know, essentially brainwashed by their two sides or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I can see a number of ways that story could kind of resolve itself of it's being done for nefarious purposes. It was being done because people blew things out of proportion and inertia, whatever. The bit here with essentially the best case Romeo-Juliet kind of ending of they live happily, I don't want to say they live happily ever after again, but <laughs> they survive this story yeah. to at least journey further together. Well, I mean, when last seen, they were, what, not quite stranded alone in the Himalayas I at a gate. stranded. They got there under their own power with well, the intent to go home under their own power. Okay, but... It's not like they crashed a plane to get there. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It wasn't the Aloha Express. There should have been a reference there near the end, though, of kind of the... Somebody had just asked, are we there yet, you know? Yes. Um, Colleen, I think, was a really good character to bring in because Colleen Wing and Misty Knight are two of the female characters that are kind of, I don't say the Cagney and Lacey of the Marvel Universe, but you know what I mean? Mm. They're a team that are seen often and almost always in the vicinity of Luke Cage and Iron Fist. 
Okay, they kind of round out almost a de facto quartet. Okay. They're the on-again, off-again girlfriends of. And they were well used uh, in both Luke Cage and Iron Fist here. I think they're going to help round out the Defenders group. Um, and really, I think they could be setting up in this this Netflix stuff if they wanted to do a Heroes for Hire mm-hmm. kind of a thing where... You know, each of the the lead actors from these shows basically signs up for like four or five episodes out of a 13 episode thing. Yeah. And just mix and match or whatever. Yeah. Which could be a lot of fun. I mean, this is another one where they did a good job of setting it in New York, but a different part of New York than we've typically seen in these other shows. It's not Hell's Kitchen. It's not uh, Harlem. It's not whatever part of town Jessica Jones was, was in. She seemed to also be kind of on the edge of Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. I don't know enough about yeah. New York geography to know how close or how far apart these things are. Well, she talked about um, the bar Luke Cage had at that point being in Hell's Kitchen. Mm-hmm. And that it was a short walk from her office. Yeah. I mean, all of these are close enough. It's all yeah. New York City. that It's, it's you know, uh, a subway ride away, potentially. Very true. But they've done a good job setting up them being in, in proximity of each other, but not on top of each other. New York is, is a big enough city to do that. But it's street level. It's realistic. It's the sort of thing that, yeah, we don't really think this is going on, you know, two blocks away or whatever in you know, yeah. New York from, from from where somebody might be living or something. Because I would hope there's not that many ninjas, gang wars, drug dealers, uh massive dismemberment and and other sort of gory attacks or whatever but true it's uh it's fantastical but in a fairly street level i mean street level kind of way if you can go with people can have crazy kind of athletic acrobatic abilities Mm -hmm. and frankly i mean what we've seen for the most part is not outlandish yeah um this is the first series i think other than Kilgrave with his his voice power, his mental domination power, that the Iron Fist Chi thing is the first super blatantly obvious superpower we've got. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, Daredevil's got the radar sense, but it's... Somebody could claim to have that, and you'd be hard-pressed to prove, disprove to a degree. Yeah. Well, I thought it was funny when people would ask him, can I see the Iron Fist? And it's the, my chi is out of alignment right now, or my chi is drained, and no, I can't show it to you on demand. But when they did it, and his fist glowed and stuff, they did a pretty good job. They did, yeah. Um, I also liked how they showed the previous Iron Fist which is a character from the comics from more recent years. And he was able to do it, I think, with both fists. Yeah. In the comic, he used kind of a gun-fu sort of a thing and, like, charged chi bullets out of guns or something like that, I think. Hmm. I'd have to go reread that stuff. It was a couple of years back, maybe 10 years or so, but it was some awesome stuff that uh, uh, Brubaker was doing, followed by Fraction. They just, they really took the Iron Fist stuff and made it viable and moved it forward mm-hmm. because I had, when I was getting into the Marvel universe, secret Wars, secret Wars two around that time, uh, the power man iron fist series was, was winding down oh. and they would trot these characters out periodically. But iron fist was just a martial artist. Uh, for a while he was dead. He'd come back, whatever we'd see him, but 
nothing that would really stick, nothing that would ever last, and nothing that made him kind of a central character in the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Up until Brubaker and then later Fraction were building up these other cities and expanding the mythos, other immortal weapons, and just doing some great stuff. I mean, prior to that, they had done an Iron Fist series where it's basically he's a guy on a motorcycle traveling around town, or not town, but around the country or whatever, having, you know, adventures or whatever. It goes six issues, and then you realize, did did we ever see a seventh issue of that? No. Whatever happened to that series? And people are like, what series? Yeah. You know? So... I can see, again, they they pulled a lot of, of inspiration from that period, and it's what's made the character, I think, more an important aspect of the Marvel Universe since, to the point that they've done the Immortal Iron Fist, they've done the Immortal Weapons, they've done Heroes for Hire, they've done uh, various Luke Cage things, a lot around this part of the, the, the Marvel mythology. Well, I think they did a really good job establishing this as a character who, well, A, is compassionate. Oh, yeah. But B, he cares about every person. He cares about the big picture. He cares about the planet. But when he hears 15 people got sick and it could be related to our business, okay, we shut down that plant. We go in, we inspect, we make sure it's not because of us. Because 15 people is 15 too many. Well, and it was funny because when the Rand Corporation was trying to salvage the situation, when when Danny had been filmed saying, oh, you know, I'm so sorry about that, Mm -hmm. that what they could have easily done was spin it as, here's some money we set aside for Danny to personally give. In other words, the company's not taking responsibility. But Danny, having just come back, having learned about Harold having died of cancer and all of this... It touched his heartstrings. He talked to Joy. He talked to Ward. They do, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and, you know, they've got Joy pointing out in one of the scenes, you know, as a business, we may have thought financially, what is he thinking? But when you look at the press and people are saying, hey, look, a corporation that cares about people. Well, but the thing is, if the corporation were to pay out or something like that, then you're, you're a huge target for. Yeah. claims and stuff like that so i get the the fears uh, the fears and the need to and that's why instead of paying out he closed the plant kept everybody on payroll while yeah. they did inspections to confirm whether or not they were responsible it was a very clever approach to the situation well, let's find out but it's also one of the things that is part of why i wish they'd made the character a little older to be on par mm-hmm. with luke cage because some of the fun stuff with Luke Cage in, in Iron Fist in the comics is Iron Fist, billionaire, runs this huge company. Oh, we could just do this, get the corporate jet, go do the, you know, whatever kind of a thing. Yeah. That, that Bruce Wayne yeah. mentality, if you will, or Tony Stark for a Marvel Universe uh, comparison. Whereas Luke Cage comes from the other side of the tracks. Yeah. He's just a regular Joe. You're bulletproof or whatever, but he's a working guy. Yeah. You know, blue-collar versus white-collar kind of a thing. And they make a couple of references, uh, like when he gets to one or two of the fights, of, oh, you're that rich kid, where's the real fighter coming and stuff? Yeah. As if they can't be one and the same. Because clearly those other fighters don't read many comics. Yeah, well, you know. I mean, part of the way you get to become one of these 
you know, incredible fighters like Batman or uh, in the comics, uh, or not in the comics, but in Arrow, uh, Oliver Queen, you know, the Arrow, or Black Panther or some of these others, is you're rich and you have nothing better to do with your time than train and go fight people. Well, I uh, I guess I went to IMDb to look up a few facts about this before we recorded, and I complained to you about part of the description because it said uh, he is bestowed with martial arts skills and the magical iron fish. It's like the character had read that. <laughs> Because I can't tell you how many times he's like, no, no, I earned this. <laughs> I just given to me. I trained for 15 years. Yeah. yeah. Versus, you know, magically learning uh, fighting and stuff like that for, you know, summer vacation on an island here and there. <laughs> Oliver had it much easier, I think. Hmm. But he says he was in hell for five years. Again, plane versus boat. <laughs> Girlfriend gets sucked out of the boat. Mother gets sucked out of the plane. Dad then dies. I mean, there's so many parallels. It's it's funny. It is. Because I, I really don't think they were on Iron Fist borrowing, stealing, leveraging, whatever. I don't think they were from, thinking that way at all. From Arrow at all. No. But there's so many parallels. And some of this may go back in, potentially in Iron Fist's case, to the source material. Not the case with, uh, with Eros. Adding some of those characters and the save the city thing is... is for the show, not from the comics, as best I know. Hmm. But there does come a point where there's so many comics, so many characters that, you know, when you were asking this, this Davos character, you know, is he from the comics? It's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he is. But man, if you had quizzed me, it's like I thought he was the son of the Thunderer, who was one of the trainers over in Kenlun, but I'd have to go check again, probably um, either Brubaker or Fraction's run on, on Iron Fist to be sure. And part of it with the comics is different writers have very different takes on the characters. A character like Iron Fist that's been around since the 70s, which is what, uh, frankly, closing in on 50 years. Yeah. You know, at least over 40 or whatever, 45 or whatnot. It's, there've been different takes different at different times. Some of them blatantly contradicting each other, more so at DC than Marvel, but still. Uh, that it's hard to keep track of all of this stuff. It's like, the, I know I should know the name, I know I should recognize the character, but can I place it? Not necessarily sometimes. Well, part of what intrigued me was, as much as we had, like, Mam Gao, very manipulative character, mm -hmm. but some of her supposed truths that were definitely manipulations, they did reveal things or provide insights that were helpful like telling Danny in her own unique way you have to face your survivor's guilt because feeling guilty about being the lone survivor is part of what's holding you back it's funny because I think Madame Gao and Harold uh, Meacham are two unique characters in this in this narrative Gao is always telling the truth with a spin, mm. with an angle, mm -hmm. and not necessarily when or in the way you want to hear it. Mm -hmm. Whereas Harold's almost the person who cannot tell a, a truth, you know, but has very convincing lies. Yeah. Including at one point when Joy's like, okay, I've got to ask, did you have this guy killed? And he's like, I did not have that guy killed. No, you did it personally. I got it, okay? We yeah. saw you do it last scene. Yeah. Or, you know, last episode, whatever. Yeah. But... Having seen the information he's contradicting as he's, as he's lying, Harold Meacham 
tells a convincing narrative. He can tell what the character he's talking to needs to hear, when they need to hear it, how they need to hear it. Well, and he makes Ward look crazy as Ward is saying, Joy, get away from him. You know, he's lost a portion of his soul. He will hurt you, mm-hmm. even as he claims to be helping you. What I found interesting with all of that was after Ward kills his father, his father comes back again a couple of days later, but just, I don't say magically, but it's not like how, again, this goes back to an arrow comparison with the uh, the Lazarus pit and how they've brought a couple of characters back that way. Yeah. But there, you've got to dunk them every time, I think. Here, it's just he's gone through the ritual that the Hand has. And the Hand in the comic has brought back tons of characters from the dead. Hulk, uh, Elektra, Wolverine, just to name a couple off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure the people who write these episodes for Netflix are Hulk fans. Well, I just, you know, and maybe I just have seen too much Hulk over the years, but... Even Iron Fist had a lot of aspects of see bad guy must punch bad guy. He's a martial artist. He punches people. There were just... They did reference the big green guy and having more views than he did on YouTube or whatever. True. Um, I felt Luke Cage with the uh, knocking down the walls and stuff had a more Lou Ferrigno Hulk style stuff. Mm -hmm. I didn't think this had too much uh, Hulk aspect to it um there was not a whole lot here that referenced the greater marvel cinematic universe they brought in jerry hogarth who had been in um jessica jones. jessica jones and then uh, like a scene of second season of daredevil maybe uh they mentioned karen page from daredevil mm-hmm. they made a reference to a pi that was presumably jessica jones a mm-hmm. uh, number of sweet christmas uh phrases from uh from claire mm-hmm. and a, a couple of references to uh to luke cage obliquely in a few cases i think gal actually mentions uh luke cage and uh the devil of hell's kitchen yeah but no particular mention there was the incident yes a couple of times but no huge mention of like iron man or thor or cap Mm-hmm. We're in New York. We shouldn't be that far from the Avengers Tower. Well, and one of the things that the uh, DC Berlanti TV shows do is just kind of sprinkle in the background company names that are a little Cord Easter egg. industries or things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And there wasn't that kind of thing happening, at least that I was aware of. One of the things I think would have been fun for them to do... Because I think when they went into this deal with Netflix, there was the, we're doing a number of series to build up to Mm -hmm. uh, a Defenders thing. I would have tried to sprinkle in almost like a background story through news clips, through placement Mm -hmm. of ads, through, Mm -hmm. you know, either billboards, signs, or whatever. Just people complaining in the street, oh, geez, they did this again, or whatever. Yeah. And almost imply that you've got, I mean, pick... Another street-level Marvel character that you just don't want to bother doing, maybe yet, or you really want to do, one of the two, and implied that there's like a Ghost Rider story happening in the background that people are debating if it happened or not, or, you know, what have you. I guess they did that in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with the character, with the story they don't know yet, but I'm trying to think what would be another 
kind of street level defenders ish. Um, I want to stress street level defenders ish versus defenders ish sort of character. Oh, okay. And the reason I do do is in the comics, there have been a couple of different lineups for the defenders. The original one being Silver Surfer, Doctor Strange, Namor, and the Hulk. Hmm. And they were kind of the non-team team, hmm. kind of cursed to, to periodically get together and go have adventures. They then left and other people would come in. And it's funny because almost, I'd have to go pull out like Marvel Over Universe handbook to know this for sure, but almost none of the ones we're getting are classic older school defenders. Because you would have Valkyrie, Nighthawk, trying to remember some of the other, because again, that series ended around the same time as Luke Cage and Power Man. But... You know, in more recent years is when we would start to get, um, you know, I'm, even that I'm not sure that uh, Luke Cage or Iron Fist or Daredevil were ever members of the Defenders. Certainly not old school, maybe in the last 20 years. But did Jessica they, Jones never. Did they each go up against the hand? Um, Daredevil, absolutely. Major aspect there. I'm kind of expecting the Defender storyline, if it references or is pulling from any particular comic series, it would be the Shadowland stuff they did maybe five years ago, where the the hand basically takes over a section of New York. Mm. And you know how you have those those Japanese kind of uh, temple buildings or whatever with the the mm-hmm. uh, uh, they they built one of those. I forget if it was in Hell's Kitchen or whatever it may have been, because I think Daredevil wound up taking over the area. Oh, okay. You know, uh, so he was running the hand for a little bit, trying to use them for good. But it involved uh, Daredevil, Kingpin, Power Man, uh, Iron Fist, um, a lot of those characters. As for Iron Fist, if it was a classic villain group for him or not, not having read it, don't know, but martial arts, ninjas. Yeah. Pretty easy fit. Yeah. Whereas I think ninjas going up against uh, Luke Cage or whatever would have actually been interesting. It's like, yeah, bullets uh, don't hurt him, but what about throwing stars? Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, I like the, uh, again, level of realism is a hard term to use here. <laughs> when you've got, you know, the chi, you've got the the voice power of, of the purple man and Jessica Jones. You've got the acrobatic and in, in radar sense of uh, of Daredevil. But really, if you're willing to go with the chi and maybe just ignore Purple Man for a moment, all of these characters are something that aren't completely ludicrous yeah, and fit in with a more down-to-earth, uh, relatable kind of a thing, uh, kind of a storyline. Well, and most of these characters are recognizing, you know, I can't fix the whole wide world right this second all at once but i can i can you know take responsibility for a couple square block area and clean it up can't save the world but i can fix this problem right here yeah well and it was funny because when claire was challenging danny on you can't take on the hand he's like no no this is the one thing i can do i've trained for this for my entire life yeah she wins him over pretty quick on that but i also found it hilarious when Claire, Colleen, and Danny were talking about fighting the hand, and she's like, wait a sec, I've got more experience fighting the hand than you do? Yeah. And he's like, well, yeah, technically. Yeah. Well, the, his point was interesting when he was saying, you know, I trained my whole life to be prepared to fight the hand if they came to me. 
no one ever considered, should my path be going to the hand and simply putting a stop to them wherever they were? It would be interesting to get the uh, monk's perspective on offense versus defense. Because mm. there's some martial arts where it's almost all parry versus attack. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's using somebody else's force against them versus exerting force against them. Well, and they had a scene early on where he was talking to Colleen and it's, you know, use your inner strength, use your opponent's energy against them, that kind of thing. Well, but I'm curious because if the Iron Fist's purpose is to defend the gate Mm -hmm. versus seek out and attack. Exactly. And that seemed to be what it was. The whole seek out and attack could be something that's almost unthinkable in that philosophy. Mm -hmm. Well, and Davos, who had lived his entire life in the monastery by the sounds of it, was of the mindset of my father slash your teacher, your sensei, told you your path, set you on it, and instructed you to follow the singular path he selected for you. Your belief that when you saw another path that called to you, you should step onto it is wrong. Well, it's funny because that's where kind of the Kowloon version and the New York City versions are parallel because father dictating path to son. Yeah, yeah. In this case, father figure to Danny, but still. Well, but also Howard down to Ward. That's my point. Yeah. That's the New York City side. It's Yeah. There's there's interesting parallels between the two halves of Danny's life, and I want to see them explore that more. But I'm also wondering if this series would have benefited from maybe at the very beginning to have a storybook tale kind of a, this is the story of the hidden city of Kunlun. There were also characters to me that got kind of picked up and dropped and threads that, or even lines of dialogue. They got thrown out there as a, this will fascinate you, but we may not come back to it. Such as? Uh, when we have the brief flashback to when Danny passed the test and became the Iron Fist, and he's kind of been thrown out of the cave with the scorch mark of a tattoo on his chest, mm-hmm. and he says, it wasn't what we were told to expect. It wasn't what any of us expected. It implies there was something either different in the cave, or the challenge was different, or there was there was something we didn't know and understand. And I wondered if that was when he began to rethink, simply defending the gate isn't enough. Yeah, I guess my problem with the Hidden City side of it, the whole Kunlun thing, is while we get a couple of flashbacks, really we get... Him getting beaten by the monks, him being rescued by the monks first, but getting beaten mm-hmm. by the monks. The going into the cave, the guarding of the gate, and the sitting on the, the, the ledge type thing. Mm-hmm. Almost, most of which, other than the beating in the room, were shot on the same green screen, you yeah. know, snow-covered set or whatever. Yeah. But we never really got any kind of even exposition on how he got from there back home. I think I asked you at about the halfway point if you felt like, I don't want to say we were owed, but we were going to get a flashback episode of this was sort of the tail end of his time in Kunlun. This was why he left, how he left this. Well, this is where it's it's diametrically opposed from Arrow. Yes. In the course of Arrow, we understand them, the, the, the queens and Sarah getting on the, the yacht 
or the the boat to to go out and stuff, getting lost, all the stuff, all the flashbacks on the island, how he finally gets back, yeah, and all of that. Here, it takes until at least halfway through the series to even get any inkling as to where they were going on the jet. Yeah. And only then because, oh, well, there's this heroin thing to go take out there. Oh, well, that must have been where they were going. Well, how convenient. Yeah. That's something that they should have, have laid the groundworks to. It's like, we were going to this place. Well, did you ever stop to ask why, Danny? Yeah. What What was there to go go a family vacation to, to where? Yeah. You yeah. Know? Well, and why was the whole family going? Yeah. So there are a lot of things about the, we'll say the premise, that were inexplicable. Yeah. So I felt that everything we got around Kunlun itself was sketchy at best. Yeah, I wanted more. Um, well, and look at Luke Cage. We got a lot of his time in the prison mm. uh, through the experiment and all of that stuff to, to feel we know his origin. Yeah. We never saw Danny as a kid train. No. So I'm getting beaten by the monks. But that's it. Ne- not even a little Tai Chi thing. The closest we got... To feeling, perhaps, we know what he, how he was talked to while he was training, is how I'll phrase it. Is when he in was... In the tournament, when the, the guy... That I thought was pretty effective when the mentor is, is kind of talking to him in visions and stuff. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot, but the fact that was the only episode in which we saw that guy frustrated yeah. me. Yeah. And if we had just gotten a series of flashbacks, be it in a single episode or sp- spread across... Where we got a Danny between the age he got there and the age he left, getting better at the Tai Chi, learning some stuff, young Davos, uh, becoming brothers and stuff like that. Well, and I thought that the tournament episode, how it ended in the visions with him and the mentor, was fascinating. Yes. The, the, the mentor turning his back on him. Yeah. Because Danny was having to reconcile everything he had been taught with the fact that when coming face-to-face with someone who would cheat to win, he was not willing to sacrifice the life of the person he came to save in order to be named, I want to say, the ideological victor. Because he would have lost what he came for. Yeah, it would have been a hollow victory at best. Yeah. But he was put into a no-win situation. Yeah. By winning, he would lose. By losing, he would win. Yeah. And again, that I like how they played with that in those sorts of uh, crisis of conscience, of faith, of, of doubt. Yeah. Uh, essentially corrupted his chi. Yeah. And to me, one of the big payoffs on that thing was not only seeing his inability to, to really harness his chi for a while, but when in the alleyway, he, Colleen, and Claire are talking about what they've got to do with Howard... And Claire and Colleen are talking Danny out of killing Howard. Yeah. Or Harold, I mean. Yeah, Um, yeah. And Colleen's like, yes, you can't kill him. I'll do it for you. And Claire's like, can we talk about something that doesn't involve killing? I mean, she's clearly the the parental figure almost that's so close and you all missed the... Missed the point of the conversation. Yes, but what ends up happening up on the roof is... Ward takes him out. Yeah, and I mean, on the one hand, it's poetic in terms of poor Ward has been abused by this man for 13 years. But to me, that is really what took Ward's arc. Yeah. 
Because this time, when Ward is doing what he's doing, he's doing it to the, to save the lives of others who are in imminent danger. He's doing the right thing for the right reason? Yeah. And you compare that to when we see young Ward early on. Yeah. Being such a jerk to, to young Danny. Yeah. And just what a, a horrific path uh, Ward has had the entire, yeah. not just series, but since childhood with, with his father. Yeah. Um, and that's really what I, I liked with the end cap of them at the cremation of, we should run this the way our fathers should have run the company. Yeah. And then they, their photos or their portraits. Yeah, have taken their father's place. taken places. their father's place. And Joy's photo isn't up there. Joy's isn't up there. What I would have liked to have seen instead of um, Ward looking at his father's portrait that had been taken down was a meeting in that boardroom uh-huh. where it's clear Ward's starting to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, yes, we could overcharge for this, but this is not how, how we're running the company. Either that or going back to a character that just kind of got dropped, bringing back in the scientist that mm. Danny had worked with to figure out, okay, what is this synthetic heroin? What is the danger of it? And handing her the antidote. If they had had a meeting where it's like, I've asked so-and-so to be here, um, you know, I talked to Danny, we're going to do this. This is something that we're going to put on the market. Mm-hmm. It's basically the how to get off heroin free yeah. drug or whatever. You At know. cost to us, you know well, what I mean? My, my yeah. point is the, 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 the antidote to the heroin, yeah. synthetic heroin addiction thing. But yeah, we're going to do it at cost. We're going to do this as a, a charity thing. We're con- we're going to make right. Yeah. If we had seen that level of transition, um, yeah, which would have been a little bit of a hard sell. But, I think he still needs a little more time to get there. But I think I think feeling responsible for Joy getting shot got him there. Mm-hmm. Well, I think his <laughs> burning his father's body got him there. I I think that gave him a level of feeling free and released. Yeah. But feeling responsible for her being injured took him to the, I'm going to go the direction I want to go. Mm-hmm. I just would like to have seen what he was doing yeah. there while Danny was off in the Himalayas. Yeah. I mean, all in all, I thought it was a fun series. It was not, I think, the best of the Marvel ones uh, for Netflix. Yeah, I'll or agree Netflix with that. Netflix ones for Marvel, depending how you want to yeah. look at it. I would... I'm trying to think if I were to rank them, how I'd rank them. This is, frankly, it would probably be one of the lower ones. Luke Cage I thought was good, but it was kind of an arc, arc mm-hmm. ending. This was a little kind of all over the place. Um, I still think the Daredevil ones are probably the strongest... I rewatched uh, Jessica Jones after we had watched together Luke Cage. Yeah. Because I was trying to just kind of wrap my brain back around, okay, where were characters? And I got to say, rewatching it, and again, I binged it over, you know, a couple nights. It held up really well. It was a really good, wow, I'd forgotten that was in there. And you know what I mean? If they ever get to the point where. They're kind of done with these Netflix shows, and I hope that's quite a ways in the future, uh, to where I'm retired at this point, because I would love to watch them in more rapid succession. Yeah. Not quite binging as as hardcore as we're doing for some of these. Yeah. Because we did three episodes, two episodes, and then the other seven today. Yeah. Yeah. 
we split this over a couple of nights. And, of course, I think you were annoyed at, at the first stopping point because I thought it was a perfect stopping point. No. Sure. Danny had just been shoved out of a 45th story window or something. That is not a cliffhanger. Uh, no cliff, no hanging, just to plummet to death. And, frankly, I thought the way out of that was pretty unsatisfying. No, I did not care to go two days. Uh, technically, I was giving you a great deal of hassle over making me wait 43 hours to find out what happens when you get thrown off the 45th floor. Yeah. I think, though, if we could watch all of the, the Netflix shows yeah. in rapid succession, I would want to find a pacing of it that... um probably almost like four hour chunks a day mm, mm -hmm. so three days per show with one of those being a little longer than four hours probably four and a half because it's 13 episodes that usually end up being about 12 hours yeah so you can't do an even uh four hours a night because it's not in those even installments yeah but you can get close enough well what intrigued me with jessica jones was that there was never a point where I hit an episode or a portion of an episode where it was, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I could fast forward. Yeah. It was all a really enjoyable rewatch. But I think the same would hold true for like the Daredevil stuff and even Luke Cage. I do because too. A, and even Iron Fist here, a lot happens in these shows. Yeah. And I think with Iron Fist, well, I think Iron Fist would be fascinating to rewatch in terms of understanding having gone through it now what happens with the dojo characters all of them really yes pay more attention to who the students are early on or are these the ones we see later yeah but i think part of it for me it's like when we get um uh, the the lawyer here uh from jessica jones i'm like wait where did we see her last where were, what was mm -hmm. going on there mm -hmm. um they reference karen page it's like, I'm trying to remember where we left off on her on Daredevil. Yeah. Even with, with Luke Cage, it'd been long enough since I'd seen the previous Netflix show. It's like, wait, where was the last time we saw Claire? Yeah. And I think watching just Claire's participation in these shows yeah. would as, as kind of a marathon would be interesting. Yeah, I do too. Um, they've done quite a bit with her, some of it better than others. Mm -hmm. um, certainly the more screen time she's got, she's... It pays off. It yeah. works well. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the Defender stuff. I think it'll be an interesting mix of characters, both for the primary uh, characters of Daredevil, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, and Jessica Jones, but also kind of that secondary tier of uh, Trish Walker, uh, Foggy Nelson, or Karen Page, and or um, uh, Colleen, Misty, uh, Claire. Mm -hmm. You've got um, this whole... Uh, peripheral set of characters. Yeah. Um, I still would like to see them tie this a little bit more into the mainstream Marvel universe. I thought Luke Cage did the best job with that mm -hmm. in terms of not only the references, but hammer technology being a, a key part of the, the plot line. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, the parts of New York we were in for Iron Fist made me feel like there should have been more references to the incident, the Avengers... I mean, just seeing people wearing Avengers stuff or somebody selling it because, hey, yeah, we got a tour. The, the, the tower is just down the street or whatever. Yeah. You know, something like that. Um, but I think the Netflix shows are a 12-hour long 
cross between a movie and a television series. Yeah. It's got an overall arc and plot line, but enough space and room to really flesh out the characters and give the story the time it needs versus, okay, we're going to do it in two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, or split it into 20-some-odd weekly episodes. Yeah. The the binge aspect. I would have a hard time following some of this without it. Yeah. If, if it were um, spread over, be it 13 weeks or whatever... Just keeping track of, wait, now this is Davos, or is this this uh, Bakuda guy, which, you know. Yeah. It, being able to just blast through it helps a lot. Yeah. So, I'm enjoying it. I thought it was good. Probably not the best of the bunch. Um, I'd probably put second season Daredevil, maybe Jessica Jones, maybe either Luke Cage or first season of Daredevil, and then Iron Fist going from best to worst. Yeah. And that's... worst being a relative term. None of them are bad. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, and I mean, on the one hand, I was going to say, you know, rewatch order. But I mean, honestly, if I could rewatch them in the order they came out. Oh, absolutely. That's what I'd I'd do, do. In the order they came out. No question yeah, about it. That's a good point. Just to keep the narrative yeah. going. But you figure at this point, there's two seasons of Daredevil, one season of Jessica Jones, Luke Cage and Iron Fist. That's that's uh, five times the 13 episodes. So that's what? Uh, 60 or 50, you know, 65 episodes. Sounds about right. Thereabouts. And they're all roughly 54 minutes-ish. It's it's serious investment in time. Yeah. But it's... Um, time well spent. It's time well spent. It's definitely enjoyable. Some of it a little bit more gory than I would like. But it's one of those that in an evening or two... And I think if we'd had an earlier start on one of the evenings, um, we could have gotten through... Because typically we can do this on a Friday evening and then a Saturday binge. Yeah. We just had other things come up that kind of split the time. Um, it's definitely worth uh, doing that. I know a couple of people at work uh, will watch a couple, just, you know, like one a night or something like that. And then they hit a, a point where they just get off the wagon. Yes. Because um, I'm not sure all of my coworkers have finished both Luke Cage and Iron Fist yet. At least as of the timing of recording this. Yeah, yeah. And I can see how that happens. And part of it is if you reach a point where you're not positive, you remember where everything was when it finished off, it's I, hard to go back in. I can absolutely understand it. There are a few other shows we've got that were like two seasons behind on. Yeah. And it's a, wait, where did we leave off? And one or two, it's like, I know exactly where we left off and why. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those, if you hit a bump in the road, it can derail you. 13 episodes, though, it gives you the ability to kind of blast through. Yeah. So I think they're doing a great job with the stuff. I think it's worth uh, checking out. Looking forward to the Defender stuff. Uh, certainly the comics this stuff is based on is also worth checking out. Um, at some point, I'll probably dive through a lot of older uh, uh, Power Man, Iron Fist, and Power Man and Iron Fist comics. Uh, I think I bought a lot of them a while back. I need to go check my inventory, but that comes down to just needing the time to to go do that much additional reading because I'm still behind, at least at the time of recording this. Maybe not by the time it airs because I'm not sure when this will air. Um, I'm I'm perpetually behind on my my reading too. That's because too much good stuff is coming out for you to read. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's so many comic book shows on. There's movies. There's a plethora yeah. of comics every week. Plus, you know, there's this whole life and day job and all this other stuff. But it's nice to have a problem of too much escapist entertainment to uh, partake of. That I'll wholeheartedly agree with. Because there's going to come a point where this will dry up. Yeah. 
the superhero media bubble will burst potentially. Mm-hmm. We'll come to a season where it's like, crap, there's just not much on. But we'll, by that point, have who knows how many seasons of Netflix shows to watch, how many seasons of various superhero television shows of recent memory or even further back. Because, I mean, there's, you know, ten seasons of, of Smallville, uh, a season of Birds of Prey, you know, not to mention all the more current stuff. That's a good point. So, I mean, there's... Yeah. If, if you want to watch comic book-related live-action stuff... There is more than enough coming out and has come out to tide you over for a couple of bad TV seasons, if they ever happen. At this point, I'm trying to find just a bad night sometimes of a week to, to not have to watch. Not not have to watch something, but you know what I mean. <laughs> to not want to watch. To not, yeah, because, uh, I mean, there's a couple of shows we haven't started yet that are on, like, their third season. Yeah. Just because we haven't had time to fit them in yet. And iZombie's one of those. Agreed. So hopefully we can get to the point where I can clear out some more weekends and we can just uh, kind of do some marathons and stuff. Because, again, that's that's how I like going through some of this. Yeah. So anything else? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.